Thank you, Shawnee. It's um, this is Mitra Shabarini, um, Executive Director of Project Citizenship. I'm delighted to be here to give an intro, but really to introduce the more important speakers, um, Aaron Fricker and Gloria Donati, to this talk. They have important and valuable information for you. I won't take up their time. I just think it's a pleasure and really a privilege for you guys to host us because this information is vital and um, we're very glad that you're interested in hearing it and learning about it and giving us this opportunity. So thank you. And with that, I'll pass it to Erin. Thank you so much for having us. So today's presentation, it, we're going to talk about um, naturalization interview advocacy for specifically individuals with disabilities. Um, so I'm going to talk for the first half of the presentation and then turn it over to Gloria. Um, overall, we're going to cover like what is project citizenship? What is the naturalization process? What is this form N648 that disabled individuals um, can file? And then what would your role be at the interview as an advocate for one of these clients? So to start off, Project Citizenship is an organization whose mission is to ensure that um, individuals in Massachusetts understand and have access to the path to citizenship. Um, I'm an attorney, Gloria is an LLM, and we have two DOJ accredited representatives on staff. So there are four people who attend interviews and can submit G28s to USCIS. Um, since we started in 2014, we've submitted over 8,000 citizenship applications. About 10% of our caseload involves the population that we're talking about today, so individuals with disabilities. And we help, in general, a lot of low-income clients. About 70% of our clients qualify for fee waivers. Occasionally, we're involved in litigation, but um, for the most part, we are helping individuals um, with forms assistance, helping them file for naturalization. So big picture, there's over 9 million immigrants who are eligible for citizenship according to DHS. And 210,000 of those individuals live in Massachusetts. Yet only 10% of that population succeeds at becoming a citizen each year. The reason is there are a lot of obstacles to citizenship. Um, the first and most important one, I think, is the ability to speak English. Um, Right now, it costs $725 to apply for citizenship unless one gets a fee waiver. The application is 20 pages long. It involves going into a government office and um, taking an exam in front of a government official. So it can be a scary um, process to embark on uh, because of both the exam and, and actually going to a government agency. Right now, the average processing time in Boston and Lawrence field offices are six to 13 months. So it takes a considerable amount of time as well. So our model is to try to focus on this one narrow area of immigration law and um, be really good at it. We have a high volume operation and have a lot of expertise in helping people apply for citizenship. And we think it's really important. Um, individuals can travel more freely. They can apply for more family members to come join them. And they can vote. <laughs> and it's the only way to guarantee um, that somebody can't be removed in the future. 
So the naturalization process itself, um, we help individuals complete the N-400 application and a fee waiver if they're eligible to file for a fee waiver. Then months later, the applicant is interviewed by USCIS. And so during that interview, um, it's a government officer, a DHS officer, reviews the 20-page N-400 with the client. And the applicant has to demonstrate their knowledge of both English and civics. Naturalization applicants are tested on their ability to speak, read, and write in English. So they must successfully read one of three sentences. On this slide is a couple of examples of the sentences that, that they're asked to read. They must also successfully write one of three sentences in English. So illiterate clients who can speak English run into difficulties with this requirement. The applicant must be able to have a basic conversation with the officer in English to go over the 20 page application. Um, that involves some simple questions. What is your address? What is your name? What is your date of birth? And it involves some really complicated legalese questions. Um, have you ever claimed to be a US citizen? Have you ever been detained by any law enforcement officer for any reason? The civics requirements, um, so they, applicants have to study from a list of 100 questions. At the interview, they're asked 10 and they have to answer six correctly. Um, there are some examples on this slide. Applicants who are 65 years of age or older and who have been permanent residents for more than 20 years, they study from a reduced pool of only 20 questions and the 20 easier questions. Um, and so their, their civics test is considered a little bit simpler. Finally, applicants have to take an oath of allegiance to the United States. Um, that's what happens at their oath ceremony day. So the day they become a citizen, they have to raise their right hand and state that they support the US Constitution and laws of the United States, that they would be willing to bear arms on behalf of the United States or perform non-combatant service or work of national importance if it were required by law. So it is possible for some applicants to request modifications of that oath or to waive that oath. Um, specifically, some individuals request a conscientious objection or a religious um, modification because they're not willing to bear arms on behalf of the United States. And the applicants we're talking about today, disabled applicants, um, some of them are so severely disabled that they need an oath waiver. They need an individual to help them through the process because they don't know how many children they have or what day of the week it is. Um, and so those cases, our oath waiver cases, um, require additional assistance from us, additional assistance from a family member or um, other person in the client's life, and um, some additional paperwork that we will talk about. So the form N-648 is an additional form that is filed on behalf of these disabled applicants. If it's accepted by USCIS, it waives some of the requirements of English or civics. It must be completed by a medical doctor, a DO, or a clinical psychologist. So nurse practitioners cannot complete the form. 
it needs to be done at the same time as the N-400. The two forms are submitted together. Um, occasionally, an N-648 can be submitted at the interview, but it must be a compelling reason. So USCIS will ask for an explanation of why the individual client did not file the N-648 at the time they submitted their application. Sometimes um, USCIS rejects the initial filing um, and requests a new N-648. And so in that circumstance, it's accepted at a subsequent interview in response to a continuous notice. USCIS does not adjudicate the N-648 until the applicant's interview. So because the processing time is sometimes a lot of months, um, it, it, a lot of time passes between when the N-648 is filled out by the medical professional and when it's actually adjudicated and, and the individual gets an answer about whether it's going to be accepted. If it's not accepted at the first interview, every naturalization application applicant gets two chances. So they will get a second interview where they can bring a, a, a new N648 filled out by a medical professional. If it's denied again and the applicant can't pass the English or civics test, the, their N400 is denied. So if they did not get a fee waiver, they're out $725. If they did get a fee waiver, um, or either way, they're they're out that time. So they have to start the whole process again if they want to pursue naturalization. So who is eligible to file an N-640 form? Um, the applicant has to have a medical diagnosis that makes it unable for them to learn, to read, write, speak in English, or to learn civics. So some examples that we um, help clients with are diagnosed with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia, cognitive impairments, um, and also illnesses or impairments that make it impossible to study. So occasionally we have clients who um, are undergoing chemotherapy that makes it them unable to um, study sufficiently. So one example that we get asked a lot is um, what, what condition um, would be acceptable for an N648. Um, so these, we have forms <laughs> that have these diagnoses that, that come into our office all the time. Um, in general, dementia and major depressive disorder would be sufficient um, and Down syndrome would be sufficient. Um, high blood pressure is probably not a reason, the, the doctor is probably not gonna be able to connect um, high blood pressure alone to an inability to learn English or civics. Um, so an individual's illiteracy or lack of education is not a sufficient reason to make somebody have a diagnosis that, that makes them unable to learn. Um, in addition, just old age is not a reason for an N648. So the doctor has to connect the diagnosis to an inability to learn uh, English or civics. Even though logically, if the person didn't learn to read or write in their native language, it would be much harder at an advanced age to learn to read or write um, 
USCIS does not accept illiteracy or age or lack of education as sufficient diagnoses. There are age exemptions that can help some individuals. So some individuals are exempt from the English requirement because of their advanced age in combination with their time in the United States. So if, if a person is over 50 years old and they've had their green card for more than 20 years, they can do the entire process in their native language. The same is true for people who are over 55 and have had their green card for over 15 years. They are still required to take the civics portion of the exam in their native language. Um, so some clients that, that we encounter are, it, it can be just easier to wait until this, um, time period is relevant for them rather than pursue an N648 um, because it can require some revisions with the doctor and, and that can take a lot of time and uh, be a lot of trouble for the client to consistently be um, asking for the doctor to fix things on the forms. But a lot of clients have um, come to the United States late in life. And so they are not going to have the number of um, years with a green card, um, is, it's not realistic to wait um, until they have more than 20 or more than 15 years um, for their green card. Individuals who um, just need an accommodation, uh, an N648 is not appropriate for those clients. So if a person can take um, the test even though the, with an accommodation for blindness or with an accommodation for deafness, um, then they need to do a separate request for just that accommodation. They don't need a doctor to fill out the form. Um, we have also gotten some of these diagnoses and none of them would um, be sufficient for an N648 form. So as I mentioned, there is, there is a segment of the disabled client population that we're talking about that um, actually requires an oath waiver. And these clients have to submit a request for the, that the oath be waived for them. Um, by another individual, like their, their assistant. Um, and they also need a doctor to complete an oath evaluation form that states that the doctor knows that they have such a significant disability that they can't understand or communicate an understanding of the oath um, in the naturalization process. So these individuals need to have a US citizen relative or they need to have a legal guardian. That is USCIS's policy. So if there is a court-appointed legal, guard, legal guardian or surrogate, then that person can take the oath for the client. Otherwise, they need a designated representative and designated representatives must be US citizens. They also must be a family member and they have to show that they are giving care to the applicant. So usually we accomplish that by providing a copy of a tax return for the individual, the designated representative that claims the client on their tax return as a dependent. 
So if a disabled client does not have a US citizen close relative who is caring for them, they actually need to go get a legal guardian um, so that that person can do the process with these severely disabled clients. So at Project Citizenship, we prepare an N-400 with the client and as well as a fee waiver if, if they're eligible for a fee waiver. And what Gloria spends a lot of time doing, and I help her sometimes, is to work with um, these clients' doctors to get a good N-648 and an oath letter if necessary. So a lot of times we get N-648s that are not sufficient. The doctor did not answer every question or um, answer them the way that USCIS wants them to answer them. Um, and a lot of times clients don't know about the oath waiver process. And so we spend a lot of our time going back and forth with doctor's offices, um, trying to get these forms for our clients. We submit the application to USCIS and we track it so that if it falls out of processing time, we automatically um, uh, submit a request to USCIS to adjudicate um, cases that have been pending too long. And in general, we ask that um, clients provide their own interpreters. They find a family member or friend who can go to the interview and, and be the interpreter with them. Um, but if not, we do have um, Spanish-speaking and Haitian Creole-speaking um, individuals on our staff who occasionally interpret for clients who don't have um, anyone to attend their interview with them. So if you are interested in um, taking on a case with us, you would sign up for an interview using our online registration system. At the end of this um, presentation, I can try and screen share another screen and show you what that looks like on our website. Um, you can contact Gloria or I to add you to our listserv. Um, Gloria sends out an email every week or so asking for volunteers <laughs> to um, attend interviews with these individual clients. Um, the website has postings of all the interview opportunities that are available. Right now we have three, sometimes we have one, sometimes we have 10. Um, so we post the individual date and time and uh, description of the client's situation with their first name and last initial. Once we receive a request from an attorney to attend one of these interviews, um, we will email you a referral memo and any other materials necessary to appear at the interview. So we give you in an email all the information you need. That will include what we submitted with the clients, so months ago, and then the referral memo will also identify any weaknesses or questions that we think um, USCIS would hone in on and ask about so that you can be prepared to advocate. So our volunteer attorneys um, reach out to the clients individually and coordinate actual representation at the interview. Right now during COVID, um, most of the interviews are being um, covered by attorneys over speakerphone. So USCIS is not offering Zoom or um, video calls, but will call um, attorneys in over speakerphone. We have a lot of materials about, including this training, about um, 
how officers should handle N648 cases. And so the job of the advocate is to observe what happens and also object when officers step out of bounds or asking for inappropriate um, information or additional additional documents that, that they don't need um, to adjudicate the case. At the end of the interview, it's helpful to explain to the client because some uh, these clients by <laughs> definition do not speak English. Um, so they may not understand what happened at the interview if there was de extensive debate and discussion about the N648. Um, occasionally, some additional in, uh, issues arise at the interview. Um, USCIS needs a criminal docket or a marriage certificate that they don't have. Um, so it's helpful for the attorney to just be there as an overall observer and, um, and can go over any things that, that may have gotten lost in the um, moment of the interview. Then we ask that you report back to us what happened. Um, if the N648 was not accepted, we wanna know why, so we can help fix the N648 if possible um, to submit at the re-interview. So I am going to turn this over to Gloria. Hello everyone. Um, so what is a good N648? Uh, a good N-648 is uh, completed. All of the sections of the form, the relevant sections of the form are completed by a doctor in a clear and legible uh, way. And also the doctor should not use language that is uh, too technical or abbreviations uh, because USCIS officers are not medical professionals and they may not have the knowledge to understand uh, technical words. Uh, the form should be uh, internally and overall consistent, especially when it comes to dates and information concerning the medical condition uh, of the applicant. Um, as mentioned by Erin, illiteracy, age, lack of education are not a sufficient basis for uh, a disability waiver. And very important, the doctor must use the uh, current edition of the form the latest edition that was published by USCIS uh, is dated July 23rd, 2020. The form uh, is divided in six parts. Part one concerns uh, um, information on the applicant. The doctor should provide as much information as possible, including uh, the A number, that's the green card number, that can be found on the green card, date of birth, uh, phone number, and gender, etc. Part two um, concerns uh, the medical professional who's certifying the form. Um, the doctor must provide their name, uh, their uh, address, where uh, their business address, and also their license number. Uh, USCIS looks up. Uh, for license numbers to verify whether the medical professional certifying the form uh, can validly sign the form. As mentioned by Erin, by only specific types of medical professionals can validly sign the form, medical doctors, VOs, and clinical psychologists. Unfortunately, nurse practitioners, licensed caseworkers, or resident doctors uh, who may be following the applicant cannot validly sign the form and therefore USCIS checks whether the uh, license number corresponds to one of the 
um, medical professionals who can validly sign the uh, medical certification. Part three is the, let's say the core of the uh, form. It concerns the medical uh, condition of the applicant. In question one, the doctor must provide the name of the condition and the relevant DSM or ICD code. Those are codes um, that identify a specific uh, medical condition. And uh, this question is very important because uh, the remainder of the form asks for details about all the conditions and each condition that has been listed in question one by the doctor. Uh, question two uh, asks for uh, a general uh, description of each medical conditions in simple terms. The doctor should not refer specifically uh, to the patient, but should provide a basic description of the condition. And then in question three, identify when the condition first uh, began. And in question four, uh, when each condition was uh, first diagnosed by the medical professional. Um, in question five, the doctor must explain what caused each uh, disability. Sometimes doctors are unable to identify the cause of the condition. For example, they may not know what caused dementia uh, if the patient was diagnosed with dementia and therefore they can uh, answer that the, the cause of the condition is unknown and that should be a, a, an acceptable answer for USCIS. In question six, the doctor must list all the uh, clinical methods that were used to diagnose the conditions listed in question one. There's no pre-approved um, list of medical conditions, uh, uh, meaning that USCIS must um, accept whatever clinical method or lab method the doctor used to diagnose those conditions. Uh, and therefore, uh, the doctor can uh, perform specific tests, for example, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment to diagnose uh, the patient with dementia. But uh, the doctor can also refer to uh, an analysis of medical records, uh, the medical history of the applicant, or also discussions with family member. Question seven is one of the new questions introduced with the new edition of the form, the edition that was published in 2020. And here the doctor has to explain what's the level of severity of each condition and the basis of their assessment. We do not, allow, we do not have um, a lot of adjudications on this specific question because this is one of the new questions um, uh, and introduced by the recent uh, edition of the form. In general, um, a descriptions of the symptoms of the applicant or a specifically a specific reference to the uh, level of severity uh, should be sufficient as, a, in, in, as in the examples in this slide. Question eight is again one of the new uh, questions of uh, the form and here the doctor has to explain how the uh, conditions or the condition affects the uh, applicant's life. And uh, they should also focus on their uh, impact on the uh, applicant's ability to learn English or civics. Um, the doctor can explain for it that the disability of the patient prevents them from obtaining a regular employment, or could state that the 
patients' dementia prevents them from carrying out activities of daily living, and therefore they need support from their family to perform, you know, activities such, such as cooking, cleaning the house, etc. In question nine and question ten, the doctor um, should explain if and why the condition is expected to last over 12 months. If the condition will not last 12 months, then the applicant will not qualify for uh, a waiver. In question 11, the doctor should clarify whether the conditions uh, were caused by the illegal use of drugs. If uh, the patient at a certain point used drugs and that Use the, and the use of drugs cause the uh, impairment or the disability, the applicant will not qualify for a disability waiver. Question 13 is the most important question of the form. Um, we, um, you know, answers sometimes of the doctors do not are clear, are not clear enough and uh, we find most of the problems with regards to this specific question. In this question, the doctor has to explain, to, has to establish a nexus between the medical conditions and the patient's inability to learn English and civics. And we recommend doctors to structure their answer in three parts. First, they should restate what the condition is and what the symptoms are. And then they should um, explain how the patient's symptoms make the patient unable to learn English and civics, thus uh, creating, establishing that nexus between the disability and the inability to meet the English and civics requirements. And the last part, in the last part, they should uh, affirmatively state that the applicant is unable to take the test. Um, the threshold is always inability, so words such as, uh, or, or answers explaining that it would be difficult for the applicant to learn English may lead to a denial of the medical certificate. Here we have two examples of an, uh, of, uh, an answer that was not considered sufficient and of an answer that is sufficient for a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Uh, in the first example, uh, you can see that the doctor did not provide sufficient information uh, the doctor simply stated that because of Down syndrome, the applicant is unable to learn English and civics, but did not explain, did not create that connection between the disability and the inability to learn English or civics. In the second example, you see how the doctor structured his answer by following this three-part um, uh, model. First, the doctor stated what the condition is, then the doctor described what the symptoms are and how these symptoms prevent the applicant from learning English and civics. His memory is deficient, uh, is only capable of performing simple daily activities. And in the last part, the doctor stated that the applicant is unable to learn a new language and uh, US history and civics. In question 13, uh, the doctor has to um, you have an example of question 14 at the bottom of the page and you see that there are several boxes and the doctor has to check whatever applies. Um, and so if the applicant is a, speaks English but is unable to learn civics because of a memory issue, then the doctor would have to check uh, the last box of question 14 asking for an exemption of, uh, from the uh, 
US and civics portion of the uh, uh, test. And of course, these, uh, this answer has to be consistent with, consistent with question 13. In question 15, the doctor has to explain when they first examined the patient for the condition listed in question one. And in question 16, uh, they have to explain when they last visited uh, the patient for uh, that condition. If the patient only visited the, uh, if the doctor only visited the patient once, um, then they do not have to answer the question. They could simply say, state that it, an A in the, in the, in the answer. And in question 17, the doctor need, must explain whether uh, they are the medical professional who re regularly treats the applicant concerning the condition listed in question one. If uh, the certifying doctor is the medical professional who regularly treats the patient, then they should also indicate for how long they've been treating the patient and what's the frequency of the treatment. So they have to answer question 18 and 19. However, if they are not uh, the, the doctors or, or the medical professionals who regularly treat the patient, uh, they have to complete question 20 to 22 and provide the name of the medical professional in charge of treating the applicant and explain why in question 22, uh, they're certifying the form instead of that medical professional. A typical example is the case of a nurse practitioner who's in charge of treating the applicant, the patient, but as mentioned, a nurse practitioner cannot validly sign the form. Therefore, um, the supervisor, who must be a licensed medical doctor, will have to sign the form. So um, as mentioned, uh, primary care doctors, neurologists, uh, attending physicians can sign the form, pharmacists, nurse practitioners cannot sign the form. In question 23, the medical professional must clarify whether an interpreter was used during the examination or not. If yes, uh, they need to complete part four. If no, uh, if that was not the case, they can uh, skip part four. Part four, um, uh, in part four, uh, the doctor must provide information on the interpreter that uh, assisted during the examination of the applicant by interpreting from English to the native language or to, to a language that the patient speaks and understands. If the interpreter was physically present during the examination, they, are, um, they should sign uh, the form. Uh, in question seven. However, if they were not physically present and that happens more and more due to COVID um, and they interpreted over the for form, uh, over the phone, uh, question eight to 10 must be completed by the doctor. Part five uh, must be signed by the uh, client and it authorizes by this by signing the, the this part of the form the, the applicant authorizes the medical professional to disclose uh, medical information to USCIS. And then there's the last part of the uh, medical certification. Uh, the doctor must sign this section of the form. The doctor must explain whether they speak the same language of the applicant 
or whether the applicant speak English. And that's very important if an interpreter was not used. USCIS will check this part, this section of the form to verify uh, and to identify potential inconsistencies in the form. And also the doctor must provide indication, must indicate what type of um, uh, ID was used to verify the identity of the applicant. So what, what are the most common um, issues that lead to a, a denial of the medical certificate, of this medical certification typos? Uh, for example, doctors by mistake can uh, state that the condition was uh, caused by uh, the use of drugs uh, or, and that would probably lead USCIS to deny the form or um, the doctor used, uh, referred to the patient using the incorrect gender in the form. So the applicant is a male, but the, in the form, the doctor identified used a, a, a female pronoun. And that could lead USCIS to believe that the doctor used the template and therefore did not uh, tailor the form uh, specifically for the applicant's condition. Sometimes doctors don't answer to all the uh, questions and that would lead USCIS to consider the form incomplete. Uh, other uh, issues may be with regards to the level of uh, detail provided by the doctors. If questions are too generic, again, USCIS may deny, may deny the form. Um, the doctor did not establish uh, the nexus between the condition and the inability to learn English and civics, that's question 13, or the doctor did not uh, clarify why they're certifying the form instead of the medical professional who regularly treats the patient. Uh, it's also important to, to know that uh, there are specific things or specific, uh, you know, uh, yes, things that um, USCIS, USCIS officer, officers should not be doing. Uh, there is the, in the policy manual in volume 12, there's a list of things that USCIS officers are not supposed to do when adjudicating a form. Specifically, USCIS uh, should not second guess the medical professionals, uh, the medical professional diagnosis or judgment. Um, there is no particular diagnosis or test or certifying that the certifying medical professional should carry out in order for the uh, form to be considered valid. Um, the fact that the applicant did not disclose um, medical conditions in previous immigration related forms should not be prejudicial or should not be taken into account. And of course, minor omissions or obvious mistakes should not lead USCIS to consider the form as uh, insufficient. If USCIS denies the medical certificate, then the officer will proceed with the interview as if uh, the applicant never requested a waiver. At this point, the applicant has two options. They can either try to take the English and civics test or they can uh, refuse to take the English and civics test. If they refuse to take the English and civics test or they try and fail, USCIS will issue a notice of continuance. That's the document where they explain uh, why the uh, form uh, N648 was not sufficient. And they will give the second a second chance to the uh, applicant to submit a new medical certificate, a new form N648, 
um, addressing all the issues um, uh, found by the adjudicating officers. And uh, USCIS will schedule a second interview. Uh, the officer again will proceed by uh, first adjudicating the new N-648. And uh, if unfortunately also during the second interview, USCIS considers the form insufficient, then uh, the applicant and the applicant fails the, uh, the naturalization test, naturalization test um, or refuses to take the test, then the applicant can will be uh, denied citizenship and will have to either start from scratch, meaning reapply for citizenship or appeal the decision by submitting form N336. How mm, attorneys should prepare for the interview. First, they should run conflict checks and also follow the uh, firm's policy on engagement letters. They should review the referral memo and all the relevant documentation that uh, we will send uh, to the uh, attorney uh, approximately one week before the interview. Um, they should also fill out form G28 uh, and uh, provide the uh, applicant or the applicant's uh, helper or interpreter with a copy of the form because um, the applicant will have to sign form G28 too. And that's basically a form that allows uh, the uh, attorney to appear as a representative during the naturalization interview. Um, they should introduce themselves, of course, to the applicant or uh, the person that uh, who is assisting them. And uh, uh, they should make arrangement to meet the client at USCIS or have the client or the interpreter call the, them uh, once they are uh, in the interview uh, room. And of course, remind the client that they should bring their green card and uh, passports and other government issued photo ID. Once the um, applicant, uh, once the client is in the interview room, they should provide the uh, officer with the completed G28. Uh, the officer should then call the attorney over the phone if the attorney decided to appear remotely. The officer may ask the attorney to verify certain parts of Form G28, um, for example, the name of the attorney, the license number, what the, the name, the phone, num the phone number and address of project citizenship. Uh, the officer then will proceed to swear the interpreter and the client and uh, the officer should start by uh, informing the uh, applicant whether they have approved or not form N-648. If the officer informs the applicant that they will not, they do not intend to approve form N-648, then the attorney should uh, ask, ask why and try to argue in favor of the client and in favor of the approval of the um, medical certification. If uh, the officer approves Form N-648, then uh, they will review the client's N-400. That's the proper citizenship application. And then if the applicant uh, had a partial exemption from the uh, naturalization test, the officer will administer uh, the relevant portion of the test. For example, an applicant who does, cannot learn English because of a disability, but who's able to answer questions about US history and civics will be tested on US history and civics in their native language. And if the client passes the interview, she will receive paperwork saying that her, her application was uh, recommended for 
acceptance and an oath ceremony will be uh, scheduled and during the during the oath ceremony the applicant will receive the naturalization certification certificate Thank you, Gloria. I'm going to try to share my new screen um, to show you what the volunteer website looks like. Um, so hopefully you can see this. Um, there's a password to access this website um, that's provided in the email that Gloria sends out each week, and then there are three opportunities to volunteer um, for clients right now. So we disclose the um, which USCIS office the interview is at, um, the date and the time, and um, you click volunteer and then can fill out um, this online form that will generate an email. Um, to us to let you know to, to block that um, client off um, for you and um, then we would be in touch in the future when the, the interview date gets a little bit closer with um, all the materials you would need to represent somebody at the interview. So we're happy to answer questions if anyone has questions um, and if not we really thank you for your attention. And our email address and, and Project Citizenship's phone number is here. Um, we're happy to answer questions also on an individual basis. All right, so it looks like we don't have um, any specific questions in the Q&A. Um, I want to say thank you all again um, for coming and hosting this training with us. Um, thank you to all of our attendees. Um, again, if you wanted to revisit this um, presentation, it'll be available on the BBA's Learn Online Library. Um, and you can reach out to either myself or another staff member at the BBA, and we'd be more than happy to assist. Right, thank you so much, and have a good one. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Erin and Gloria.